98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday takes you around the NFL. Find a seat on the carousel as we go around the NFL. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass, keeping you company on Arizona Sports Saturday, live from the Ak Chin Community Studios. And, of course, the biggest NFL headline from this week is the agreed-upon punishment for Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. The NFL appealed the Sue L. Robinson ruling of six games, gave it off to an independent body again, I guess is the best way I could phrase it. So the final punishment, 11 games for Deshaun Watson and a $5 million fine. Um, quick tidbit, the game that he returns is the Browns against the uh, Houston Texans. Oh, but I'm sure that had nothing to do with no, how long they suspended no. him. Because, you know, 11 is such the perfect number to give to somebody. It's just who... a nice round number. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Listen, is 11 game suspension better and closer to what it should be than six? Yeah, of course it is. 100%. It's going to quiet some of the criticism. Will it quiet all of the criticism? No, no, no come on. No. This guy should be suspended for the year and, and that would make it to a, apply for reinstatement every year and that would make it a two-year thing because he missed last season with a lot of this uh nonsense so uh it wasn't enough no probably not i find it comical at best that it, his uh personal statement that he made like actually speaking words um he basically said that he's innocent and didn't do anything wrong and then his written statement says i apologize for all the harm that i've caused which is it those are two totally different things look i'm not i've i've never been a fan of the browns per se i've never been a hater of the browns what? per se but the browns are not my favorite team right now that's for sure in terms of a humanity standpoint and then the owner went out and didn't make it much better he wanted to remind people about the great quarterback Deshaun Watson is, and he's only 26 years old. Okay? He even mentioned... But he's it, also got all of these women saying that he sexually harassed them. He even mentioned, uh, Haslam, the owner, mentioned that he might not have gotten this second chance if he wasn't a star quarterback. He actually said something to that effect. Which, like, you're... That the fact that he's a star quarterback played into that decision. Which, like, one, you don't ever say, and two, of course you it's don't true, ever though. say. Of course, we know it's true. We know but it's you true. you don't say that no. when you own the football team employing this guy. And then he mentioned, uh, remember, we gave Kareem Hunt a second chance, oh. and look how well that worked out. Yeah, look, he wants to be traded from the team. That's working out really, really well for them. Unbelievable. But that was the big story of the week until this came out. You know where Tom Brady is at, Steve? Florida. Yes. Tampa, Florida. Okay. Got At it. least we think. Nailed Here's it. Todd Bowles on Thursday saying that there's no definitive date for his return. We'll talk about it next week. I'm not concerned about it right now. We're trying to practice against Tennessee and play a game. I said sometime after Tennessee, there's no definitive date for me, but we'll check on it. And we'll keep in touch and we'll find out. Now, what if the reason that Tom Brady is not around is because he committed to something after he retired, but then he unretired? And he's still committed to that thing, and that thing is filming for The Masked Singer. I just, my head is in my hands right now. I mean, The Masked Singer, first of all, one of the most embarrassing television shows I've ever seen. It's a giant clickbait article by television. I, I do not understand why people are attracted to that show. I have no clue. I just don't get it. 
It's like you can watch the trailers for the show and like that's the show. It's like <gasps> who's under the big head of a a polar bear? Which one is the green monster? <laughs> I okay. I I could not care less about the mass singer. But apparently if this is true, Tom Brady does. So here's the question. Did he commit to this before you know, when he retired, did he commit to doing this? And then all of a sudden, he unretires like a week later or whatever it was, and he's still committed to the filming. I, I don't know. That's kind of what it feels like if this turns out to be true. And if that's the case, if you're the all time great NFL quarterback and you're trying to have one last leg of your career and you skip training camp and, a, and some preseason stuff to go film a stupid TV okay, show, okay. I'm going to stop. It's time you. to retire. I'm going to stop you right there, though. It's Tom Brady. Do we really time to retire? Time he's missed. Okay, so feels like he doesn't love football. So there's two ways that this was presented. One was through Fantasy Life, and actually a colleague of mine from college, Kendall Valenzuela, who put out this theory. And then there's the super long, thorough, in-depth Reddit theory, which I am not going to read in full, but I will read these bullet points from Lindsay OK from Twitter. She covers NFL. She says the main selling points are these. The filming dates line up with his absence. He perhaps committed to being on it when he was retired, then unretired, but had signed a contract. And then there's this part, which I didn't even come to think of. He signed a deal with Fox to broadcast after his retirement. Right. The Masked Singer is a Fox television show. So maybe it was part of his contract that he... He appear on other shows. And here's her follow-up tweet. I asked an unnamed player who would know via text, quote, would Brady do this, quote? And he said, quote, ha-ha, yes, 100%, quote. Now, here's the real question. This is the real hard-hitting question of this whole story. <laughs> this, because on Mass Singer... investigation as to whether or not a 45-year-old quarterback is participating in a reality show? <laughs> from what I've seen of the Mass Singer, which is very little, because I've established I do not care... On that show, don't the characters they dress up as, they're supposed to somewhat, like, have clues about them as to who the person is underneath? Like, the character or, like, the animal or whatever, like, has characteristics about it. I like, it's know. carrying a guitar. It's when, probably a guy who's a singer. When Antonio Brown was on, was he dressed up as a psychopath? <sighs> I don't know. Or a sociopath? I, don't, I honestly don't know because I don't watch the show. Okay. But my point is, what character should Tom Brady play on Masked Singer? And I have the perfect one in mind. Goat? Well, Goat would be good. That'd be too obvious, in my opinion. Oh, come on. Frankenstein. Okay. Because he just won't go away. He just won't die. It's alive. Keeps coming back. And he won't die. Frankenstein. That sounds like Jason. (laughs) Jason Voorhees? I think that character probably has uh, the the rights are taken for that. Him or even, um, who is it, Michael Myers just won't die, too? He could play a Wolverine. Any of those. You could dress him up like Hugh Jackman because, I mean, Michigan. Any of those scary Halloween movies, et cetera. Et cetera. Look at you, Mr. Sleuth. I've got all the ideas. I don't know why Fox doesn't call me. Well, I'll tell you what. If this does turn out to be true, I'm sure Fox is pissed that everybody now knows who's going to be one of the big candidates this year. Yeah, what a reveal that's going to be. They're going to be like, it's Tom Brady. And everyone in the audience is going to be like, yeah, we, we knew. Real bummer. We knew the whole time. Real bummer indeed. Ken Jong is going to be so disappointed. Hey, I tell you what, it feels pretty good to be in a division with the Seattle Seahawks. And do you want to know why, Steve? Because they stink. Because they, they stink. Nailed it. They stink out loud. They lost 27-11 in their second preseason game to the Bears on Thursday. And Geno Smith did not look good. And Geno Smith is probably going to be the team's number one quarterback this year. Just think about that for a second. 
Why would you acquire Drew Locke and then play Geno? Well, Drew Locke had COVID. So he so couldn't what? play. No, my point Geno is- Smith is on pace to become the starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. I'll like, be- I think that's what they want to do. I'll be honest. I think Drew Locke was kind of a throw-in in that trade. Is there any scenario where the San Francisco 49ers would trade within the division and trade Jimmy G to Seattle? Oh, there's apparently a Seahawks fan that wants it. And he wants Jimmy G there freaky fast. You know, play on words, pun. I just can't see it happening. I can't see the An interdivision trade? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the Niners would want to benefit the Seahawks. And what are you getting back that makes that worth doing for a division rival? It doesn't make much sense. Uh, Speaking of quarterbacks in the NFC, we all know this guy named Aaron Rodgers, right? I've heard of him. So apparently Aaron Rodgers got very upset with some of his receivers during training camp. I don't know what the reason he was upset with them for was, but I guess the Packers quarterbacks and the wide receivers all had a meeting after one of their practices. Like a secret meeting? Uh, One of those, like, I'm going to rip into you and tell you how much money I'm making. That's what it feels like. Oh, one of those meetings. One of the rookie receivers, Samori Torres, said it was just really giving us advice, basically letting us know that the Green Bay receiving core have always been held to a a super high standard. All the legends who have been through here, it's just about us carrying on that standard and stepping up. Yeah, sure. That's exactly what Aaron Rodgers was doing. Here's what I'm learning about Aaron Rodgers over time. You hate him? (laughs) That everyone hates him. (laughs) That nobody seems to like Aaron Rodgers, and that Aaron Rodgers has a problem with pretty much everything about all of his teammates. Very rarely do you find a player that Aaron Rodgers is, like, really good friends with. It's basically David Bakhtiari, and that's about it. Yeah. He likes his offensive line because they hold him upright. We thought he was friends with Devontae Adams. Clearly, no. For the longest time, it was all about how the the Packers refused to draft wide receivers for him. Mm -hmm. Despite, you know, Devontae Adams, who is now gone. But... I don't know. I I felt for a long time like Aaron Rodgers. I gave him the benefit of the doubt because the Packers didn't really surround him with a ton of great weapons. Right. But I'm growing very tired of giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm I'm growing very tired of that. Clearly, he's good enough to succeed without the best of the best. So what does it matter? Why do we care so much? Imagine if he was surrounded by good players. Well, he was. Donald Driver was a good player. But the big Jordy okay. Nelson was a good player. Yes, but we're digging into like for me the biggest decision obviously is the Jordan Love one, right? Where you sure. drafted a quarterback in the first round and Aaron Rodgers goes, "Why do we need that guy?" Sure, we have me. We don't need that guy. What I need is another really good receiver to throw to, because now he's stuck with all these guys that uh, he. I imagine he thinks that they're all just not up to snuff. Look, can we agree that we just want him to stop complaining? Yeah, that'd be nice. Maybe take more of that moon juice and that'll put him in the better mindset. I don't know. You tell me. Coming up next, Arizona Diamondbacks are facing a familiar face this weekend. How are we feeling about the success that Paul Goldschmidt is having this season? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Hey, thanks for checking out Arizona Sports Saturday this weekend. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vareldis with you. Trevor Henry's behind the glass for us as well. A familiar face back in town facing the Diamondbacks. That would be one of Paul Goldschmidt. He made his presence known last night, too. And a fly ball to left. And Goldschmidt has come back to Arizona and hit a home run. 
and his first at bat of the series, one nothing St. Louis. Dang, Schulte stole what I was going to say. Good to have Greg Schulte back in the booth, by that the way. That too, yes. Um, I think that it's a little bittersweet for some people. For like a small group of people, it's bittersweet to see Goldie having success at Chase Field and not be in a Diamondbacks uniform. But I think overwhelmingly the response I have seen from my friends and people that I talk to is that they still cheer for Goldie, even though he's not a Diamondback sure. anymore. He never did anything wrong. He never wronged the Diamondbacks. If anything, they wronged him. I will say I'd much rather have him back on the Diamondbacks, though. Well, yeah, of course. But not because hindsight of this, 2020, not we can't just really because do of this that. one season, though. Like, think you get to hold on to him for the pr- prior seasons as well. Especially when you know the context of how that trade worked out for the Diamondbacks. Carson or, or Kelly is still hasn't worked out for the Diamondbacks. Right. Carson Kelly's still your primary catcher, but that but doesn't mean it's working left. out. He's all that's left from that trade. Andy Young has gone, contributed very little to the Major League Ball Club. Luke Weaver is gone, contributed. Um, probably negatively to the ball club. Got traded at the deadline. So the trade was a bust. You traded your greatest player in the franchise's history, greatest position player, let's say. Because I think Randy still has an uh, argument as pitcher. Yeah, okay. That's fair. I, I, I still genuinely cheer for Paul Goldschmidt when I see him in a Cardinal uniform. Me too. It doesn't make me a Cardinals fan. It Well, I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan, I guess, but I'm not a St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> fan. But... I'm a Paul Goldschmidt fan. He's a good person. He was one of the best athletes that this town had, had at that time. I, I don't know why you wouldn't cheer for his successes right now. Well, of course you would cheer for his successes. I don't and, wish ill of him. But, yeah, you're not, you're not going to do this out of spite because, like, oh, man, I wish that we had that. Like, of course we wish we had that. But we still want you to succeed. We want you to win. We want you to play well. We want you to go out, and we want you to win the MVP this year. And he's most certainly on pace to do that. Is it going to sting? I think so. However, I feel like the sting is dampened a bit because, and call me crazy to say this, but because of Christian Walker. Now, it's not an all-star. He's not hitting 300-plus. But he's certainly filling in the gaps that Goldie had left vacant. And that Goldie had left vacant for what we thought was going to be Paven Smith's spot. And that hasn't turned out well either. But Christian Walker has did, done a good job supplementing what Goldie had outside of the average. It was the strong defense, and it was the ability to hit for power. And Christian Walker has done a very fair job in not replacing, but supplementing that. A uh, little bit of background on Goldie, by the way. When he was in Arizona, six All-Star appearances in a row before he left for St. Louis. He did not make him the All-Star game until this season with St. Louis. That's interesting to me. He, he has four seasons in his career where he was top six. Oh, there's five of them. There were five seasons where he was top six in MVP voting, including two where he was in Arizona. It was 2013 and 2015 where he was the second player in the MVP voting. I think he finished third in 17, too. I he finished so. third in 17. Yes, you're correct. I mean, this is a top five player in the game of baseball in multiple different seasons. He lost out to Andrew McCutcheon one year. I think he lost out to Bryce Harper another year. Lost out to Giancarlo Stanton in 17. Stanton in 17. Uh, he was pretty good in the 2021 season last year. I think he lost out to Harper on that one as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, Paul Goldschmidt, if he goes out and wins the MVP this season, you're going to have a lot of fans in, in 
in Arizona who inevitably are going to be distraught over it. Like, oh, man, that could have been done here. He could have mm-hmm. done that here. He could have finally eclipsed that hurdle that was Andrew McCutcheon, that was Bryce Harper, that was John Carlos Stanton. He could have done that here, and we're all going to feel that. We're all going to feel like, oh, what could have been? You're right, by the way. Uh, Randy Johnson in his career with Arizona, a 50.9 wins above replacement. So he was that much better, better than the other starting pitcher that would replace him or the average starting pitcher. Paul Goldschmidt was a 39.9 wins above replacement as a Diamondbacks first baseman. Yeah, hard to compare the two. better than first baseman. Randy was the best pitcher in the game of baseball for those four years. Four straight Cy Youngs. Right. So it's hard to top that. But I'm, I will always think of Randy Johnson as the best Diamondback. I'm, I'm bringing emphasis to your point that, like, here we are. We had what was the greatest player positionally that the Diamondbacks have ever had. And he was homegrown. for him. And now he's on pace to win MVP in a different city. And that argument leads to, if he makes the Hall of Fame, what cap is he going to wear? <laughs> oh, you're going to spring that on me. Yeah. Because I think we can agree that he's going to win MVP this year. What? Barring some sort of collapse in <laughs> September. But as we know, Goldie, he loves to succeed in September. As I was talking about a second ago, right, you have, how many seasons is that in Arizona? Eight seasons in total, right? Seven full seasons and then the call-up year. In eight seasons in Arizona, six of them were all he went to the All Star game, and they were his prime years. I mean, there was one year he led the league in plate appearances with seven oh five. He had over seven hundred plate appearances in a season. He had the most home runs and RBIs in two thousand thirteen. He had the most walks in the league in two thousand sixteen. He had the most, uh, highest slugging percentage in two thousand thirteen. If you take away this season in St. Louis right now, there's no reason he would wear a Cardinals cap. Unless he plays there the rest of his career and has more years like this. Which he might. Which is possible. If you told me right now, if he retired tomorrow or like at the end of this season and wins MVP, which cap does he wear? I hope it would be Arizona. Six of his eight years here, he was an all-star. Second in the MVP voting twice. Third one year. All with the Diamondbacks. I would hope that he would choose the Diamondbacks. So the interesting comp that I'll use. He could come back, by the way. He could. That's a thing that happens in sports a lot these the days. The interesting comp that I'll use, and I don't know if there was some sort of specifics that went into what hat he had to choose because one of the teams he played for no longer is a team in M- MLB. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in as an angel. But he had some pretty Vladimir darn Guerrero good, Sr. Senior. Senior. But he had some pretty darn good years with Montreal. But he won his MVP with the Angels. Which hat did he pick? The Angels. Interesting. He spent eight years in Montreal and only six in the city of Anaheim, but the team labeled as Los Angeles. Well, listen, there's always going to be a lot of recency bias, right? Guys want to pick, you know, the organization that they just came out of because it's almost like uh, it's almost like getting the en- to the end of your career and saying like, hey, I know I just spent 10 years with the Cardinals or whatever it's going to end up being for Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. But uh, sorry, Cardinals, I was better as a Diamondback, so I'm going to pick them like he gets to make the decision, not statistics, not the number of all star appearances, not the MVP voting. Well, so he does and he doesn't because I remember, I guess, Larry Walker when he got inducted, he, I think, wanted an Expos cap, and then the Hall ultimately decided, no, we should have you wear a Rockies cap because you'd be the first. I didn't know that story. I think that's a part of it. I don't think Larry was going to throw a big fit about it, but that's another one where he had a good career with a different team, but maybe he's better recognized with this team. 
Okay, so, so I that's, guess the argument is, is Paul Goldschmidt going to be rather recognized as a Cardinal or as a Diamondback? That's an interesting comp, actually, because he was in Montreal for six seasons, one all-star appearance, and then goes to Colorado and plays there, let's be honest, the majority of the remainder of his career. Mm-hmm. He played in Colorado for 10 years. Everyone remembers Larry Walker as a Colorado Rocky. Nobody remembers him as a St. Louis Cardinal at the end of his career. No. And I don't think most people think of Montreal when they think of Larry Walker. I really don't. He was a good player there. There's no doubt about that. It's an interesting comp. Because if if this format, if this uh, history of Larry Walker happens for Goldschmidt, and he plays most of the remainder of his career in St. Louis, maybe goes to another team towards the end somewhere for a year or two, then you're going to have the same kind of conversations. So it's an interesting concept that you brought up about will he decide to be a Diamondback in the end of his career or not? He, that's also I, I hope ass- he comes back. That's also assuming he makes it a career good enough for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, we don't he, know that either. He could or he couldn't. I don't know. I, I would hope he would. He's been such a good, consistent first baseman for so long. I mean, there's only a handful of guys that are like that. Joey Votto, Freddie Freeman comes to mind. Like, There's not a lot of dudes who do that consistently. Not many. And he's one of them, and he's so well-rounded, too. Defensively, offensively, he's got it all going for him. Tomorrow, game two of the preseason for the Arizona Cardinals. Not a lot of starters are going to be playing, so what conclusions can we really draw from a game like that? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday, 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the class. Got a half hour left with us here on this Arizona Sports Saturday. So we are the last show before Cardinals-Ravens on Sunday night. Well, except for the pregame show. Yeah. It's, it's hard to beat them that's, to that's it. That's their you know? stuff. It's not ours, in fairness. And they they get four hours of coverage. We get two. You know? Should we demand more hours? <laughs> I, I don't think we have ground to stand on for that, Mitch. But <laughs> floor is you lava. go ahead. The floor is lava. Let me know how that works when it comes to that. So this preseason game, we're not going to see a lot of the starters. No, a good chunk of the starters have already been decided. Yes, by the staff, like the obvious ones: James Conner, Zach Ertz, Marquise Brown, Kyler Murray. Most of the offensive JJ line. Watt. Yeah, I, I could go on. The point being is that these games really come down to deciding the final 53. And there are a couple of cuts that came down this week that really make you wonder, what is this roster going to look like? Where are they going to make the decisions? I want to start with this one. Cliff Kingsbury from Thursday said they might keep three quarterbacks on the roster. I've always been partial to that uh, just because in this league it seems like you know, it's hard to get through a season without starter playing every game and um, to, to try and bring a guy in midweek and teach him the offense and do all that, that that's, that's tough. And I don't think it really breathes a lot of confidence in your team when you do that. They're like, okay, we get this guy off the couch and he's going to learn the offense in two days. That's not really what we're going for. So to have a guy that has the rapport with the team and um, they can feel some level of confidence that he knows what he's doing, I think that's important. And uh, I would imagine we will have three again this season. So last year they had three. The three again, him referring to, was Colt McCoy, and then behind Colt, well, I believe they still had Chris Strebler. Last year, yeah. So this year the replacement would be Trace McSorley. 
I would imagine. I don't know if Jarek Quarantano is going to jump McSorley necessarily. He could. I don't know for sure. But McSorley played well enough in the first game and is likely going to see a lot of action in this game, too, that could propel him into that guaranteed number three spot. Is this necessary? Is this the right move? Well, here's the thing. You run that risk in the NFL, right? If you choose to go at it with two quarterbacks, and there's two types of injuries that can happen to a quarterback. There's long-term and short-term. And you have to look at them differently. If you have a long-term injury at quarterback, then you go out and you try to find a Ryan Fitzpatrick who is floating around the league, a Jay Cutler from the TV booth or something, and you try to bring them in and fix the problem long-term. Or you have a situation like what the Cardinals had last season, which was a short-term injury to Kyler Murray, and you need somebody to fill that gap for a couple of days. Fortunately, the Cardinals have a good backup quarterback in Colt McCoy that they feel can float, keep the team afloat while your starter is out and you can get him back and, and get back in the groove. Obviously, that didn't happen, but Colt did keep the team afloat last season. I think he went 2-1 and one in the three games that he started. Yes. So... As a team, as an organization, you have to decide, do we trust our backup quarterback, the number two guy, enough that if we get a short-term injury to our starter, do we feel confident he can keep us afloat, or do we need to go and get a third guy? So, Because what Cliff's talking about there is training up the third guy to be the number two guy when there's an injury. Because if you put a guy on your training or your training squad... Practice squad. Thank you. The practice squad. There's a chance he could get picked up by any other team in the NFL. It's not guaranteed yours. And I think if you have a guy like Trace McSorley who understands this offense and can, you know, take it over at a moment's notice, then that gives Cliff a lot more comfort moving forward. I think there's an element of it, too, where Trace McSorley is a little bit like Kyler Murray. Now, I think the talent gap is pretty significant. Don't get me wrong. But... He and Chris Streveler kind of fit that mold of not just smaller quarterback, but a mobile guy who can do a lot of the things with his legs that Kyler Murray can do. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that I don't think that's absolutely imperative to have is because Colt McCoy doesn't really have that. But like you talked about last week, actually, you called me out on it and you were right. Colt McCoy was that guy earlier in his career, he's just now kind of at the tail end where he's a veteran pocket guy. He can do a little bit of running and moving around. But having McSorley around could be a good advantage for them to have. I'm interested to see if they do end up going the three-quarterback route. Now, how many running backs will they do? So, now let's build the chain. If they go three okay. quarterbacks, right. will that mean they also go five running backs? Here's Cliff Kingsbury said he's undecided still on what the depth chart will be behind James Conner. Yeah, still um, to be determined. All those guys have had really good camps, whether it's Daryl, Ward, Key, um, Eno, obviously we talked about him, and then TJ has done a nice job learning the system and taking advantage of his opportunities. So uh, excited to see how it plays out the next couple weeks and um, be some tough decisions to make. Now, I don't think they'll go full six and include TJ Pledger in that group. No disrespect to TJ, but... You have five solid options ahead of him, and the question is, is do you keep all five? James Conner's guaranteed. I think you and I can agree that Daryl Williams is guaranteed. And then you I got- don't. I don't agree with that. Okay, I'll let you tangent. Go ahead. I think, and I think we dove into this a little bit last week, but I think if one of these five guys has to go, I'm hearing a lot about Eno Benjamin. Right. I don't think he's going anywhere, and there's some continuity there. I don't think they'll lose Ward because Ward plays an important special teams role. 
and that's important to them. Mm-hmm. Keontae Ingram was just drafted. It's not a guarantee that you make the team when you get drafted to where he did, but I think that they like the overall talent. If there's any guy here that could be unimpressive and probably get cut, it might be the guy on the veteran minimum contract. Daryl Williams, to me, is the one guy that I just I just haven't seen enough to make me think, okay, that guy is imperative to what we do. I think that Connor, Ward, and probably Eno Benjamin have roles already. So you think it's a guaranteed three? It's definitely a guaranteed three. I think it's a guaranteed four. The fifth is the one that's up in the air, and i got to be honest with you, if Daryl Williams doesn't do anything that impresses the organization, you don't have to keep that guy. It's a veteran's minimum deal. I mean, you could cut that guy, and it's it's not it's not the end of the world. Okay, I think they might be down to whether or not Keontae Ingram impresses or Daryl Williams impresses. He's obviously got the track record, and he's a veteran in this league. But Ingram's got fresh legs, and I think we'll get a better idea in tomorrow's game. I don't know if Daryl Williams is going to play or not. We know for a fact that Eno and Keontae and Jonathan Ward will all see reps, even TJ Pledger as well. But that's interesting, the fate of Daryl Williams in this whole matter. I'm not not saying he's done anything that deserves to be cut. I'm not saying he's done anything wrong. It's just if if you have five guys and you're trying to cut down to four, I'm not saying that he's an automatic lock. But do they have to cut down to four? Can they get away with having five and then go short at a different position? Yeah, that's the thing. If you're going to go three quarterbacks, five running backs, now you're starting to pull from other positions. Right. And you obviously need as many offensive linemen as you can get. And we know they're going to have at least three tight ends. At least three. And one of them might not be playing much, so you might need four. Maybe. You might need four tight ends. So if we do that math, that's already 12 players out of a 53-man roster. And how many receivers are you keeping, considering the fact that your best one isn't going to be available for a third of the season? Do you keep an extra receiver to well, fill so the he's gap? included on the 53, right? I think so. By Brule. So if that's six, because they probably would go six deep. Do you go six deep and roll with five for the first six weeks? I think you could because you have the advantage of drafting one of the best tight ends in the draft with your first draft pick. And then none of this takes into account what they choose to do on defense. Not at all. And and we've discussed it earlier. Victor DiMucchi might be one of those fringe players that gets an extra opportunity because he impressed so well in his first preseason game. Again, first and preseason kind of dumbed down the statement that I just said, but two sacks is still pretty hard to get against any football team. It feels too, like, defensively. I still have a lot of questions about the Cardinals defensively that have yet to be answered and probably won't be answered well into the regular season. But it feels to me like a lot of positions are going to be filled by committee. That there's not necessarily that excited that all. there's not necessarily one guy as much as there is a rotation of a couple. I mean, you talked earlier about Antonio Hamilton might work his way into the rotation of corners. That's well, not something I expected on opening well, day. Well, Cliff Kingsbury said that he st- stood out so much he might solidify the number two spot. Antonio Hamilton's been been really, well, I would say, a nice surprise. But we we knew what type of competitor he was. I think he's continued to ascend and. Um, really taking over that that number two spot as of now um physical tough you know edgy every day has a chip on his shoulder and i I really like what i've seen from him and it's interesting because the discussion that burns and gambo had yesterday led into a second part of what that statement might have meant from kingsbury sure it's praise for hamilton but is it also another dig at marco wilson or a dig on byron murphy who beat out mark malcolm butler for the job last year Per se, 
before Malcolm Butler retired for unknown reasons, for personal reasons. It's interesting to see because the cornerback room is very weak in terms of what you what names you see on the roster. And Antonio Hamilton came to the room's defense, but we all know you want to have as strong of a group as you can if you're a team that's fighting to get back into the postseason because it happens every single year. Half of those teams are probably not going to make it back this time around. And we do not want the Cardinals to be one of those teams. Coming up next, some great stories that we didn't have a lot of time to get to, but we want to cram them all in in what we call footnotes. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Footnotes on Arizona's Sports Saturday. It is footnotes. It is when we've got so many great stories we wanted to talk about. We didn't have time to get all of them. So we're going to put in the stuff that we liked the best of the bunch that we didn't get into now. And that is footnotes. And we're going to start with um, an announcement from the Arizona Cardinals. They announced it a little earlier this week. Bill Bidwell, who was the longtime owner of the Cardinals, passed away a few years ago. The team announced that he will be inducted into the team's ring of honor during the halftime uh during halftime, I should say, of their week one game against the Chiefs. So nice little touching tribute to the legacy of Bill. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of great things that came out of the Bill Bidwell ownership of the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, he brought football, he brought NFL football to Arizona. He brought him here. So I think that deserves a ton of credit there. I think that he did a lot of great things in his time. This is not me trying to diminish Bill Bidwell at all. This is me trying to compliment his son, Michael. Since Michael took over, the Cardinals have meant something. And what I mean by that is there were so many years there, so many decades where the Arizona Cardinals just weren't competitive. Mm -hmm. This is one of the oldest franchises in the NFL. And for a long time, they, they didn't really compete for anything. And I think that that flipped around 2009. Obviously, you go to the Super Bowl or 2008, whatever year that was, and things just changed. And the stadium in Glendale changed things. And so a really good legacy left behind by the Bidwell family in general. But having Bill Bidwell in the Ring of Honor makes a lot of sense. It's a touching tribute. It'll be exciting to see. Uh, I also know that they've got the new uh, Dactronic scoreboard on the opposite end zone that they unveiled uh, or that they are unveiling tomorrow night. So if you're going to the game tomorrow, you'll get to see the new Jumbotron that they've got. What's different about it? Do we know? It's a little bit smaller. I know it's in the opposite end zone. Smaller? Why are we getting smaller? This is not my (laughs) decision here. Jumbotrons are supposed to get more jumbo every year, right? That's more jumbo. That's my philosophy. (laughs) If I was building a stadium, I'd make it bigger every year. Of course you would. Sticking with the Cardinals real quick, because in case you did not know, uh, the Cardinals will be the feature team on Hard Knocks in season, which was introduced by HBO and NFL Films last year. The Indianapolis Colts, if you recall, were the Hard Knocks in season team. But during this version of Hard Knocks, the training camp version with the Detroit Lions, they've been putting like 10 second teasers at the end of every episode. First week was DeAndre Hopkins. He was just doing some calf exercises, it looked like. The second one, which happened this past week, was Cliff sitting in an office about as bare as an office I've ever seen. Nothing on the walls, he's nothing a minimalist. on the shelves. It seems like it. And he's just clicking through what I would assume to be film with a remote control while he's staring at a monitor. So, naturally, 
Cliff was asked about it at media availability on Wednesday. That was Mark Dalton directed that, so he said it, he said it looked natural. And there were a lot of comments that it actually looked like a prison. I told him we need some CGI going on. Looked like I was in prison. I mean, <laughs> not to knock Mark Dalton's directorial debut, but that doesn't seem like it took a lot of effort. I don't think he's winning the Emmy or the Oscar for that one. <laughs> well, here's a question. So now that we have hard knocks on HBO in season and in preseason. Yes. If you had your choice and you knew in your season. team was going to be one or the in other. In season. Why? Because it creates the drama that actually matters. Like, think about this. The Colts were a win away from guaranteeing a postseason spot last year, and they got pummeled by the Jaguars. Yeah. That's great television, is it not? I think I agree with you. Those were my favorite parts. I remember the All or Nothing season, whatever that was, like 2015, mm-hmm. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were my favorite parts, obviously, were the in-season preparation for actual games. But at the same time, some of the greatest hard knocks moments in history have come from when they cut players in the preseason. Yeah, but... It's like the drama of it, like, like the that's emotion what we're gonna of it. Remember them for? I know. That's what I remember Hard Knocks for. I don't know. You know. You know what? A lot of people may remember. Um, specifically, if you're a family member of one Stone Garrett, who Best made his name in baseball, he made his debut this past weekend when the team was in San Francisco. What we are now calling the Stone Age. <laughs> going. Back. We are all calling it we're that going now. Backwards Starting right now. So here's the funny story for Stone. So he gets called up, and he calls his parents, of course, lets them know, come to the game. It's a night game in San Francisco this night. And Garrett's parents are coming from Sugarland, Texas. That's near Houston, I think. Yeah, it's just outside of Houston. And so his mom, it looks like, came prepared, had some mittens, denim jacket. Mittens? Who brings And mittens? I guess his dad was not so prepared for the weather. He said he thought it would be fine. Here's the quote from Here's the quote from Stone Garrett, and then I'll explain what happened. Quote, I knew he was going to do it. I knew he wasn't going to bring a jacket. I knew he was going to have to buy a jacket. I'll get him some D-backs gear. I'll take care of him. Stone Garrett's dad, who goes by Rock, by the way. Oh, my. No. Is that real? <laughs> yes. No. He was, you have Stone and Rock Garrett. Well, Rock Garrett was so cold. What's his mom's name? Boulder? Stop. Rock Garrett's mom, or dad was so cold. Rock Garrett was so cold that he had to buy a San Francisco Giants jacket from the team store <laughs> while he's rooting for his Diamondbacks son. First of all, is there not a Diamondbacks like kiosk somewhere? Like, Don't they take some of the merch from away teams with them to, on the road? Is that a thing that people do? I don't know. Sometime. Well, so here's the... Like, can you not go to the team store and find a Diamondbacks something on the road? Maybe not sweatshirts. I don't know. On the road? At least hats, usually, but maybe not sweatshirts. I don't think it's like that. I don't think the teams are promoting. Maybe I made that up. Here's what I will say, though. The very next day, Todd Walsh, who works with Bally Sports Arizona as one of their analysts, has a picture that he took of Rock Garrett. Diamondbacks polo. He's holding the baseball of Stone's first hit. And he's holding a Diamondbacks pullover, just in case it gets cold again. Is that not the most dad thing ever? Oh, totally. To show up to your kid's sporting event and you're like, I'm not cold. Totally fine. Totally fine. He's wearing. I'll I'll be okay. He's wearing. I don't need a jacket. That was so funny. While shivering the whole time. Speaking of such a dad, funny but unfortunate incidents in baseball this past week. Are you familiar with the Brewers Park? Uh, yeah. 
So there's a tradition that they do at the Brewers Miller Park. Miller Park? Is that still what Miller it's Park, yeah. There's a tradition that they do at the Brewers Park, and that is when one of the Brewers players hits a home run, Bernie, their mascot. The Brewer. He goes down the slide when the team hits a home run. Right. It's a very famous slide. There's a reporter for the Dodgers with Spectrum, L.A., when the Dodgers were in Milwaukee, it was like his lifelong dream to go down the slide. And I'll let Joe Davis explain it, the Dodgers play-by-play broadcaster. And then you can hear this reporter going down the slide. Bassey's been talking for three days about going down the slide here in Milwaukee. I've never heard somebody so excited about doing anything. And right. David did do it today. Watch. All right, here we go. Holy crap! Holy Okay, so you hear the crash there at the end, and we've only got like 30 seconds. I'll get to the point. He broke his wrist. No. His wrist got cut underneath the mat, and his body slammed against it, and he broke his wrist. First of all, if you're an adult and your lifelong goal is to go down a slide, you're not really an adult. It's still a cool dream, though. Come on. Come on. All right, it's also need to learn here. how to slide. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the show today. Uh, it is Arizona Sports Saturday for Mitch Varelis and Trevor Henry as well. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. More of Arizona Sports on the way.